The Atlanta Hawks have played five games, and they are, of course, three and two after a three-game winning streak. It's time to take stock of how things have gone so far. We'll talk to Glenn Willis, friend of the podcast, coming up for part one of a two-part conversation right now. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1580 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Thursday evening into Friday here in the early part of November. And today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Right now, if you're a new customer, get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 right now if your team happens to win. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get started. And also, please, at the top of the podcast, I should always tell you to make us your first listen each and every day. Check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify and Google on the audio side. And we are also on YouTube. And today's show, myself and Glenn Willis, good friend of the podcast, talking about the first five games of the Hawks season in two-part form. So this is actually going to be part one that we get into right now, talking about the offense, the defense, some scheme takeaways, observations, what it can tell us about the future, and much more. And without any further delay, here is myself and Glenn. I am joined once again by my friend Glenn Willis of ATL and 29 and the internet. Glenn, welcome back to the podcast. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, been a eventful five games in some ways, I guess. We've learned we've learned something about the team, so look forward to talking through that with you. You would think we've learned something. I, I, I think we have for sure. And we were just talking before we started recording. It's been about a month since you and I talked in this format. Uh, you and I talk all the time, so I, I had to make sure of that. But uh, it's probably a good interval to have another conversation uh, about the preseason even, but also about the first five games, as you reference. And, you know, after losing the first two games, the typical round of panic uh, ensued. And then they win three in a row, and now they're going, now they're going to win the championship. And it, the truth is somewhere in the, in the middle, most likely, as we'll talk about on this podcast. I want to open it up to you, actually, first and throw you a curveball and ask you uh, if if there is anything that stands out above the rest that we can dive into. And obviously, we'll talk about offense, defense, et cetera here. But I wonder like, if you had to do a biggest takeaway or maybe two, maybe two if you want to go to two um, of, of the first five games, what is uh, what, what, what kind of jumps out to you? I, I think the thing that they're doing that's most different that's helping them the most is the transition offense, right? So last year they were like, you know, lower half of the league in both uh, volume of possessions and points produced and all that field goal attempts in each game. And and I looked at today and they're top five in field goal attempts in tr- per game in transition and uh, and then points produced in transition. They're actually number one at the end of last night. Play us yeah. like they're number one, right? They, st- they still so, are, yeah, number one. Yeah. And and I think why that's so important is that they we've talked this into the ground, right? Their fit in the offensive half court is still kind of tough in some ways, right? Yep. And so now DJ being aggressive and attacking on the catch and you know Jalen's connectivity skills is 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 helping uh, them have some options to kind of work through some of the natural challenges that they have. But the more they can get out and run. Uh, I think that the more that they are going to be able to kind of manage through if they have a eight position possession stretch in a game in a tight game where things are just tough for them on offense, that transition offense is huge. I think it, 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 it certainly um, allows them to take the fullest advantage of Jason uh, Jalen's, you know, skill set. I think DeJounte has been awesome in transition and he has, he has a way to kind of, uh, kind of uh slashed you know in transition it's, it's the term i think i would use 
Uh, you know, Clint is, you know, not been the best finisher of these five games. And I, some people act like, well, that's how it's always been. Like, I'm not really worried about him. That's a different, you, you and I always land on that conversation. And, but, but, you know, his, his rim running is still a value. His rim running is very helpful. Right. And so is, so is the Kongu's. And so I just think that the number one thing I would point to is transition offense. I think that that's, I think they would be maybe one in four if it weren't for what they were doing in transition offense. So yeah, that, that's what I would, I would point out. It's funny, Glenn cannot see my notes, I promise, but that was uh, at the top of my list of things to bring up on this podcast, <laughs> so you were reading my mind. Um, and yeah, number one in frequency, and they've been, they've been very good. I know they're, I think they're fourth in like the raw pace number, which everybody always cites, and that has to do with offense and defense in a lot of ways, but the more accurate one for like offensive fast break and transition stuff is that frequency. Uh, yeah, notable for sure. I mean, they, they've never played this fast and it is five games and I, I don't want to say that out every single thing we bring up on this podcast so just take that from what we're saying at once now it's a five game sample size it doesn't mean everything on any on any of these topics i'll just say that out loud right now it's five games but they are playing notably faster and it's something that quinn certainly wants to do and he, he said that they've, they've talked about playing faster it also plays into their defensive scheme which i'm sure we'll talk about later on about like they're being a little bit more aggressive they're trying to create a little bit more havoc and that kind of feeds your transition offense as well in addition to taking it out of the net, and that's something that Quinn always talks about too, like not wanting to take it out of the net, which means getting stops. But part of the reason why is that your offense is going to be more efficient the faster you play, meaning that you want to avoid avoid those dead ball half-court situations if you can help it. Uh, it's generally seen as being better to have fewer half-court possessions, which just you know intuitively makes sense. Like You want to be playing in transition because your efficiency is way better when you do that. So um, you know that's certainly a really interesting takeaway i'm not sure exactly what it means yet but the fact that they're doing it is very much helping and look this is uh through five games they're a top five offense in points per possession both in raw numbers and if you remove garbage time like, like cleaning the glass does i think they're fifth in raw numbers and third at cleaning the glass and you know their half court numbers are not as good as their as, as that so that it's kind of a good encapsulation of what we just said like they're not that great in the half court so far they're better than they, than they have been at times but it's not like they're lighting it up in the half court. They're not. They're not. They're not the top five in the half court. It's that they're running more, and that is allowing them to score more efficiently. Which, as we kind of all talk about, this team has to be awesome on offense. Like that's the way they're built. So, however they however they get there, that's the most important thing. But they're getting there with kind of playing faster. Yeah, and it and I think it um, frames the the whole importance around this aggressive defensive scheme that I know we'll kind of dig into here in a little bit. They have to do that well, right? So if they're, you know, that in my mind, they've played one complete game so far out of five. They're three and two, and they've played <laughs> one complete game, right? I would agree, yep. Right, so uh, that was against Milwaukee. And, and and against Milwaukee, they kind of took control from the very beginning. And I think th those of us watching were waiting, like, you know, they have Giannis and Dame, and, like, you know, we're just waiting on – and then they tried in the third quarter, what the Bucks did, to kind of – Kind of reassert themselves the way that you know they they always do, um, but for me it's like okay they're three and two one the, the their defense in the first two games was uh, disconnected disjointed new stuff like uh, just I wasn't freaking out about that at all or you know being worried that that's just where they're going to be all season long. Uh, the first half against Minnesota was rough. That was the first time I think they really kind of faced that much size in the front court or the other team's front court, which was which was tough. But they have to execute their aggressive scheme well, and I think they also have to know when to get pulled back a little bit, which they did in the second half against Minnesota. 
right? So they they got a, out of being so aggressive, and so you know on the fly kind of adjustments and stuff. But but their best the best version of themselves is going to be when they can play aggressive defensively. That feeds their transition offense. That takes a little pressure off their half court offense. I think that's the formula that's going to serve them best when they can make that happen. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks, and Prize Picks is a skill-based, real-money daily fantasy sports game. And at Prize Picks, you pick two to six players, choose whether they'll actually have more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You win up to twenty-five times money on your entries, and Prize Picks is just you against the projected numbers. An entry can be done in sixty seconds or less. That's really fast, and it makes life easy for you. They have frequent discounts and bonuses and offers, including weekly promos like Taco Tuesday and Flex Friday. Prize Picks also has a huge selection of sports and stat types not offered anywhere else. They offer projections on the NFL, NBA. MLB, NHL, PGA, and many more. They're operational in more than 30 states now, plus Canada. Prospects is the best place to have action in more than 70% of the country. I really enjoy checking out Prospects all year long. I'm digging in all the time there during the NFL season, of course, and then also now that the NBA is up and running. And on the whole, the experience of Prospects is tremendous. It's easy. It's fun. I highly recommend it at the really the highest level. And prospects.com slash locked.mba is the place to go and use promo code locked.mba for a first deposit match up to $100 with Prospects. One more time, that is prospects.com slash locked on NBA use code locked on NBA when you get there check out daily fantasy sports made easy with prize picks narrowing it down a little bit on the offensive end of the floor their their best attribute so far is the is their shooting and free throw rate and that's that's but they're really been you look at the sort of the four fact the traditional four factors they've been above average in all of them and that, that's a good sign in general when your offense rebounding pretty well getting the line pretty well making your shots and then avoiding turnovers like their turnover rate is up from where it's been but that's that's that was a staple under Nate, especially that they they took care of the ball like and that was one of their pillars. And everybody wants to take care of the ball. I'm not saying otherwise, but they kind of sacrificed some other stuff in, in order to do that. And that, that was kind of the game plan they took. So for them to be able to still be you know top ten or eleven in all four of those stats um, is pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I hesitate to even do this. I, I want to drill down in a little bit into the uh, into the overall like scheme stuff with you a little bit here, but I'll open it up to you again, sort of open-ended like in the half court, there's been a lot made of how they're approaching the half court. Uh, of course, Quinn's emphasis on threes, which he always to his credit, and it's probably not shared as much. He always talks about rim frequency too. You want rim and threes. It's not just threes. That's I mean, it, it, it's called gets boiled down into more threes, more threes, more threes. And he wants more threes, but he also wants more rim shots. And by the way, that's happening. The more rim shots is really happening. Three pointers, not so much yet, but how are they getting there? Like, what are you what are you seeing once the game slows down? Because it always does on some level. What do you make of kind of what changes you've seen or what your observations are when they kind of have to uh, slow down and play in the half court? Yeah. So the rim pressure is they've been a little less dependent on their traditional pick and roll, right? And that's where they generated a lot of that. And Quinn believes in more more players touching the ball, more distribution. Uh, and things like that. And coincidentally, if you take the ball out of Trey's hands and put it in other guys' hands, your your turnover rate is going to go up. That's something that you're kind of buying into. You're looking to for other benefit to offset, you know, that that thing. Um, but that's that's there. DJ has you know really been great generating rim pressure. And you know, coming into the season, and we we heard Quinn last year, even before the, the the season part of the season he coached last year, he, he said. You know, media day, I wasn't really, I wasn't able to implement anything. You know, we had to kind of work <laughs> yeah. with what they had, you know. I think I think he kind of adjusted some lineups and some rotation things to kind of, you know, get some kind of different lineups put together and stuff. But coming into the season, I thought, 
apart from Jalen being elevated, you know, in his role, which is which has happened, um, the the Dejounte would have the biggest change because he's a guy who likes to catch the ball, take a beat, defense reacts, <laughs> right, yeah. and then go and like we kill we kill Hunter for that, right? And so and it's funny because I was like, it's, it's a harder change for Hunter, but his usage should not be you know in the same ballpark is what Dejounte's is going to be right now. He right. now he's been his usage has been higher. He's yeah. been good, he's and he well. and he and he's been quicker, a, a quicker processor and equation. You still see that, but he had five ton of turnovers, uh, you know, last night. So, you know, you still see the ball handling kind of issues kind of pop up now and then. But he's getting him, putting himself into bad spots less less as being Hunter. But DJ attacking on the catch, yeah, I just I thought it would take if it fully happened. I thought it would take like twenty or twenty five games for him to get to the point where he was able to overcome the instinct he has to survey and then make a decision and then go. Now, once, once, once the goes, he, he goes, he's like a very aggressive player and yeah. it's different from Hunter, but the rim pressure coming there has been fantastic. Uh, Hunter being more decisive and really having a simplified set of options. Hunter doesn't get to kind of just do whatever he wants to do. Like <laughs> with the, I forget what game it was. I think it was maybe the Milwaukee game where he actually caught the ball about two full steps inside the three point line in the, in the right corner. And he actually dribbled back behind the line. Yeah. And like I was like, if I had a, like a, a heart rate tracker on, I don't know what, <laughs> you know, what it would have been in that moment, but that's just, that's a, it's, it's anecdotal because it's a singular event, but it still suggests things you see suggest this team is trying to manage to those principles. And it's been kind of up and down. It was rough the first two games on offense too. Um, but you can see them kind of getting more comfortable with it. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about kind of several scheme things, but to me it's more about role, habits, principles, very different than what they're doing under Nate. And the team starting to kind of get comfortable with them is, is what I see. And I would put DeJounte at the top of the list on that in terms of who's kind of mastering this a lot earlier than I'd expected. Yeah, I think, like you said, DeJounte and DeAndre were probably the two guys that had the, the biggest changes potentially in what they like to do. And it's not as simple as mid-range bad. Like, I think that's always – that kind of gets the stigma. And that's not that's not what – especially for Murray, they're going to let him shoot mid-range. We saw that the other day. Of course, he made he made them all, which was very helpful when he went absolutely crazy in, his, in that second yeah. half. But Murray's still going to have free reign to take mid-range shots. It's that – they want him to get deeper into the paint and they want Hunter to attack the rim more. And, you know, as a team, that is the single biggest change statistically in the Hawks profile, other than maybe this, the tempo that we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast is their rim frequency. They're they're It's not just Murray and Hunter, but they are two of the bigger changes and just getting all the way to the rim versus settling for mid rangers or even settling for floaters in DeJounte's case, his floater rates way down his rim rates way up. And that's interesting to me because I think you even talked about this with me last year, they're almost quality differences between DeJounte getting to his spot at eight feet versus like 14 feet. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of just the way he, sh the way he shoots it and just the quality of that look. It's like not a small difference between like a tough 17 footer and a tough 10 footer. Even um, that, that stuff matters. And, and instead of all of that, really, he's getting all the way to the rim. The Hawks are in the top five in and of the whole league, according to Clayton the glass in shots at the rim. That, that's not a typical Hawk stat. They've been near the bottom of the league in that stat multiple times. So that's a big, big change. Um, still not enough threes, which Quinn has, I think, said into a, into a microphone multiple times. He still wants more threes. Uh, they've been taking more than the last couple of games. Early in the, the first couple of games were less. You, you see more and more. But it, it's it's really hard to 
miss if you watch this team closely, like how much they are putting an emphasis on getting to the rim and even lineups where you wouldn't think they have a ton of space. Cause that's an argument that we've also made, like, especially around Trey is like, if, if there's not enough space around him, he, it's hard for him to get all the way to the rim because he's so small and it's not his fault. It's just what it is. But it's other guys like Jalen helps with that too. Uh, worth worth noting that Jalen's been very good on on the catch and attacking the rim and using his length and burst to get all the way there. Um, even Bay, like who you think of as a three point shooter, because he is, but his blue ball game, like he can get to the rim. Like everybody that they play right now, with the way that Hunter and Murray are playing currently, other than maybe Bogey, everybody else gets to the rim at a decent level at least these first five games, which is not a small thing. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's, it's it is a little bit unusual too to see a team with this much you know, rim pressure, you know, two smaller guards, right? You yeah. usually see the bigger guards that are kind of doing that, that Russell Westbrook and John Wall, those types, you know, from the last 15 years or whatever and stuff. So that that's a little bit unusual. But, I mean, having DeAndre really kind of buying into working to the rim, getting to the free throw line, you know, that's that's very helpful. Um, yeah, and, and, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, and so I, 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 and I know that I feel like Hawks fans, and I'm right there with them. Like, is with DeAndre, is this stuff going to stick? Right? It's, I, it's, I would love to know, Glenn. We'd all love to know at this point. And, that, right. and that's the beauty of like enjoying the whole season unfolding and gradually is like we'll get to find out together if that stuff sticks for him. Um, but he's been an incredibly helpful player, you know, so far on offense, which is just. You know, when they've gotten stuck, the ball getting forced out of Trey's hands, you know, he and JC were kind of the guys who just didn't have the natural skills to kind of really punish that. And just the ha- the change in habits and change in principles has been, it's just been just kind of shocking. Now, I, I have to, I must say, the league is going to adjust. Of course. The league is going to start throwing different things at them, and they're going to have to problem solve as that happens, right? That's going to happen, and they're going to have to problem solve as that happens, but, you know, in, in, in that sense, you know, they're kind of at this point, the last few games, you know, hitting, hitting the mark on that. The other interesting thing is, you know, under Nate, it was too often, especially late in games, late in close games, four guys watching one guy attack a mismatch. Right. Mm-hmm. And they, and they would say like that, that was something he believed in was attacking the mismatch. Right. Very, very much. Now, so. <laughs> the, you know, the, the Minnesota game, I, I think there, I think there were, two plays that kind of jumped out at me. One was, you know, DeJounte was running a, a pick and roll with a Kongwu just right of, you know, center court there. And he kicked the ball to Jalen in the corner. And a Kongwu, instead of like, instead of having DeJounte and Kongwu kind of back out and give Jalen room and have Jalen kind of go one-on-one, a Kongwu started going towards Jalen to set a ball screen down in the corner. And he slipped it and Jalen hit him with that pass. And and that's an example of of like just something very different. So Quinn has them doing something useful and getting into a basic kind of uh, operation to keep things flowing and moving instead of having four guys watching one. On the other on the other end of the court, like there was a time where um, uh, AJ had the ball in on the right wing, just below the right three point break. Bay came up to set a screen. The defense tried started to ice it. Bay slipped it. And and then and or no AJ was setting a screen for Bay AJ slipped it mm-hmm. Bay hit AJ with the pass and then Bay refilled kind of the corner and and AJ made attacks kind of hit Bay you know and so that was again like no one's standing still watching one person go there like that was Bay and AJ like the, in terms of 
choosing two guys to execute some sort of operation together, that's not statistically to come up very often, it feels like, right? That's that they're gonna be guys in more supportive roles. But the fact that they executed it perfectly to me suggests that this is something that they are really leaning into in terms of game prep and principles and, and emphasis and things like that. Because I mean, to see like say a Kongwu and Trey or you know, some combination that we you see working together in commonly in these operations is would not so surprising. Seeing Bay and AJ execute that tells you like, okay, but the, the whole team is being kind of um, is steered towards these basic simple operations to keep them from getting stuck. One attacking one, four guys watching. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Snapping in the action this NFL or NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. And if you're a new customer, you get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's 150 bucks. It's all yours if your team wins beyond the awesome and really awesome, really, I want to emphasize, awesome perks of signing up. FanDuel has everything you're looking for across the sports betting space. That includes point spreads and money lines. They have player props and futures and over-unders and many more. They also have a safe and secure app that covers the entire range of sports that you might enjoy. That includes places like you know the NFL, football, across the board, college football, MLB, NBA, WNBA, college basketball, golf, tennis, soccer, auto racing, MMA, boxing. It's all there for you at FanDuel. And they have plenty of options involving the Hawks as well, including the, the entire scope of offerings for Saturday's game against New Orleans. Um, I'm sure they'll have pregame lines and over-unders, as well as player props. And then also when they, after the game starts, they have live betting as well. Now is the best possible time to join up at FanDuel. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. Check out the official sportsbook partner of LockedOn Podcast Network with an offer that you absolutely will not want to miss. That is FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. I don't want to get bogged down in the lineup debate with you. That that's another. Let's just not. But do it's that, so Glenn. fun. It's no, so it's fun. not. It's not fun at all. So <laughs> let's not do that. But it, that also is a reminder that why that thought triggered in my head was this is a just a much more versatile offensive team right now, and that's that's a word that pops in my head. Like after your previous answer, like malleable is another word where like they're not only rotationally but certainly rotationally. Like Quinn is much more willing to get out of what. You know, Nate, I could tell you what Nate was going to do all the time. Maybe not all the time, but you know what I mean? Like barring foul trouble or something, like I kind of knew what was going to happen with rotations or whatever all the time. And that's there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I think Quinn is much more adaptable. And I think that kind of bleeds into the way he coaches offense too. Like, and it's a great example that you, that you just laid out, but it's the whole team. I mean, they're even, even Trey, like you, you've seen Trey get off the ball. And that's something that, by the way, I like I like the principle, but it's so funny how many times you hear Quinn or someone say "get off the ball." Like he like he pass and get off is like one of the main principles that he has. He wants guys to get off of the ball once they pass, not stand there. He wants movement, and um, it kind of leads to that. Um, I'm not sure it's more more egalitarian. However you want to say that, like everybody's engaged in the offense. There's not a whole lot of standing around. And yeah, it's it's gonna. There are always times in the NBA where it's gonna feel stagnant. Like that's going to happen in the NBA. It it just it just is. But there is less of that right now. And again, it's five games. But I feel like that that's also just like kind of a broad principle is that they simply want everybody involved. They want guys to do a little bit more with the ball. Like even someone like Clint, who you know, all the conversations kind of are the same about Clint, but like Clint has the ball more often than he used to in non catch and dunk situations, like DHO game, that kind of stuff. Like he, he's just doing more. Um, a Kong obviously can do more Jalen being much more of an on ball um, presence and somebody who can attack closeouts, all that stuff. Like there, there's not a whole lot of 
I don't know sure what I'm saying. It's, it's it's not a whole lot of just like stagnation. And yep. maybe 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 it's because of the and look, I want to stress, I am still an advocate that like they should run plenty of pick and roll with Trey Young. Trey Young is maybe the best pick and roll operator in the world. Um, they they can't not run that, but they can also do other things. And they're kind of it seems like they're leaning into doing um, more like you know versatile, malleable stuff. Yeah, and where that where those simple operations is what I'll call them like a little ad lib of a Congo turning from DeJounte and going towards Jalen in the corner, slipping yeah. it, giving that pass. All right. So in the past, and it will happen again this time too, this season too at times where they'll look stuck on offense. And I know a lot of times fans are like, they're not running anything. What's <laughs> what's usually going on is the defense isn't letting them run what they want to run. Like right. the defense, not, like the defense is just totally spun up on all of your main stuff, and they're doing a great job of just not letting you get to it. The shot clock is ticking down, and you've got to go, right? So where in the past, that that was pretty much always one-on-one, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's Trey or DeJounte or whoever kind of getting to a mid-range step back, low-efficient shot. Now, just a basic thing like, hey, somebody go move towards Trey with, you know, and threaten the ball screen and read how the defense is kind of setting up to defend that ball screen, slip it or – give Trey a passing angle or whatever. And so those little simple things that they do, like it's funny because last year they are in the, in the summer league was was a better example. They're running kind of split cuts on the weak side. And so Mm -hmm. I expect to coming into the season, we we haven't really seen that yet. So I'm wondering if that, yeah. So I'm wondering, are we, are we, is that going to come? I don't, I don't know. That's something that Quinn really used heavily in, in Utah uh, but right now, it's that simple operation of turn and do something productive. Go set a screen for someone. Go set a ball screen, move away, create a, a cutting lane. Uh, DeAndre's been great cutting in the paint when the defense is overloaded to towards the baseline when the ball's down there. And so my the thing that I'm seeing that makes me feel most encouraged about the last four and five minutes of games going well, even when the opposing defense is kind of taking away your primary stuff, is – Simple operations, boom, do something simple to kind of give you an option to get defensive movement, force defensive movement, and after that defensive movement, attack it and go. And that's the thing that's been serving them well, keeping them out of trouble. And they're, they're still going to get stuck sometimes because NBA defenses are can be yeah. very good at that, getting you stuck. Yep. But now they have these little tools, these simple tools that they can use that they weren't using in the past that, that I think uh, will make a difference for them. The, the split cut point makes me think of something else that I want to at least bring up at some point in the conversation. And it's that, you know, one of the things with the previous regime was that it felt always like Nate was thinking about that night and not much beyond that night. That was a, I'm not even sure that's a criticism, just kind of the, what kind of the reality of the situation. Yep. He was much more like in the moment. Um, the famous, we're not doing development line comes, comes in everybody said all the time, <laughs> but even beyond the player development side, even just like, you know, within a season team development stuff, he, he thought about that night as the priority, which is, Everyone wants to win every night, obviously, but it, it almost feels like Quinn, I'm not saying he's like messing around on purpose, but it feels like some of the stuff he's doing is not necessarily geared toward that day. It's like he's, he wants to experiment a little bit more to figure out what's going to work down the line, which is a very typical NBA thing. Like this, that's, this is not out of the box necessarily. It's just a little bit more different than what it was previously in this, this same team. But do you get that sense ever? Like, if it, it just feels to me like he's trying to do some stuff or maybe not do some stuff yet because he's like maybe saving it or um, wanting to do one thing at a time and install. And like, look, I know he had he had one training camp, but that, that's certainly worthwhile. They've changed a lot of things, but it wasn't like he, you know, 
they haven't been together for five years. Like I'm sure that Quinn has stuff in his back pocket that he's not put in yet. Does, does it feel that way to you that it's like almost totally. like he's experimenting is maybe not the right word, but just kind of not necessarily di- putting it all in that one game. It's like, okay, can, can we do this later? I want to try it now to maybe yeah. do it later on. Yeah. I use a bit of a bit of a parallel. So back, um, you know, a number of years ago before the Lux hired, but right, they when they would use Giannis, they'd have like one plan for the first quarter, one plan for, for second quarter, right? So the, and so the first quarter would be ball screens, second quarter would be uh, kind of uh, you know working away from the ball. The third quarter they'd finally bring him onto the ball. So the, I called it an unpacking of the different <laughs> things Giannis does. Yeah. Across this Hawk season, I feel like that's what we're in the process of witnessing is kind of this unpacking of what the offense is fully going to be. And if if the you know if one has the question. Why is it not all there right now? I think the focus is defense. Like, first of all, we heard suggestions that around that. We heard commentary around that in the preseason that we're spending most of our time on defense, right? And, and I think Quinn is trusting, like, you know, our the fortunes of our season are going to be very much determined by how effectively we play defensively, how much our defense feeds our offense, and then when your defense feeds your offense, you get to set your defense more. And it's this kind of reinforcing kind of you know circular process that they want. And so I think there is more coming offensively. I think Quinn's instinct is that if he tries to kind of really uh, aggressively tune the defense down to the kind of finer areas of detail and tries to kind of load up the whole kind of offensive plan for the season, it's too much, right? Especially for the how short the preseason is these days um, and the amount of practice time they do get and don't get, it's just too much. So I I get the sense that more is coming offensively in time. Um, and and to me, going, going back to the lineup question, like I think that's one reason like where Quinn, Quinn is going to stay kind of married to that starting lineup unless the other team presents so much size at the four and the five that they need Jalen instead of Bay, right? Um and so I I feel like even like like the the last three or minutes three and a half minutes against the Wizards was atrocious basketball. It was oh, just horrible, right? It was very gross. <laughs> but I, I felt like, and this is me speculating, you know, I felt like Quinn was like, we we need to experience like what it's figure, like when we when we take the foot off the pedal, right? Yeah. When like no, we got to we like we can't let our habits slip in those in those situations. That'll come back to bite you if you're not committed to your habits. You're not committed to your principles, even when the game is you know you're basically determined. Like and that and that's a progression and a maturity that they're still going to have to demonstrate, right? So I mean, they started the game well, one time out of five. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they've they've problem solved against Minnesota. They you know they figured it out against Washington. Um, they didn't get there against Charlotte, you know, they didn't get there against the Knicks. Um, but I do get the feeling like there's more coming offensively because it's been a little on the basic side right now. And I think what Quinn really wants to emphasize is when you get stuck, this, these are the things we do. When you get stuck, these are the things we do. And I think he senses that with this group, that's more valuable than trying to put in like two or three or four other kind of complex sets that you're going to run from the very beginning of the possession. And, and that's serving them well. And like Jalen's skills, simple operation. Akongu's skills, simple. That's that the connectivity skills that they have in the four and the five, especially with Akongu and Jalen, really does, you know, um, fit what he's trying to do with that kind of simple operation. But I do think more is coming.
All right, that is all for part one of myself and Glenn Willis. We have part two coming to you shortly, if not right now, depending on when you listen to this podcast, please subscribe to the show. Make sure you check out that second part of the conversation for the full depth and breadth of this chat. And uh, please subscribe, check out Glenn's work across the board. Ratings, reviews, always appreciated. And we'll see you all next time.